0: Good morning all, grab your Bibles and let's turn to James chapter 3. Uh, thank you for those couples who have shared there is a lot of wisdom in what, uh, in, in what was uh, spoken there. We're picking up from last week and now we're going to continue on, um, I'll, I'll summarize last week very quickly in a moment, but... Um, This week's topic is we're looking at communications and conflict, and if you ask anybody in in that regard in terms of a a relationship, communication is very key, and part of that is resolving conflict. I loved what Debbie said in there, you need to do it because it doesn't go away, (laughs) right? As much as you wish that it would, it doesn't. I remember Bill Vasilio talking about this, and he said, not only does it not go away, it accumulates compound interest, right? I think that's true, isn't it, right? So something that you sweep under and you bring back later, you're going to pay some time. How much you pay may depend on how long you leave it and how, um, uh, yeah, what, whether you're able to sort it out. So this is where we left off last week, I said this, what will drive your marriage is your mutual commitment to each other's godly maturity and completeness. And we picked this up from James chapter 1, this idea that um, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must have its way so that you become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God's goal for us as people is that we become mature. And complete. And that comes through testing. And marriage is an incredible test of our characters and where we're at and what is going on with us in our lives. Anyone who's been married more than five minutes um, will n- know that uh, reality of how it reveals things about us, many things that were un- unknown. So we use this idea of immaturity. We know we could define an immature person they're selfish, they're impulsive. They're unstable, and God's moving us towards trying to be mature, where we're giving of ourselves, speaking truth and love. We're steadfast, we're reliable. And so in a marriage situation, we said this, that you are an immature person, an immature sinner, and guess what? You're married to an immature sinner. Wow, <laughs> right? Now, you knew that second bit about your, your maturity of your spouse. You may not like the idea that it is you as well. And so marriage, I think, in a very real way in Scripture is defined in a way that um, it's for our growth. It's for our holiness. It's not that God is disinterested in our happiness. It's just that if we put happiness as our goal it is um, uh, a very deceptive and very, becomes very disappointing. We looked at this graph, which has been done in cultures all over the world, which shows there's a rise in your subjective happiness around the time you get married, but then it drops back down again to uh, a, a level that was before, and that can create all sorts of disappointment with, with another person. And then we looked at this idea that there's this pull in marriage between what the world tells us the world kind of defines more and more this idea that people want a marriage where someone will just accept me just as I am, and I can just appreciate the per- other person for who they are. And this uh, this is just saying, well, well, I I, do, I want somebody who I don't have to change, and they're already perfect, <laughs> right? Because because that will you know if marriage will just work if we find the right person, and they don't expect much of me, but the there's a deep problem with that, isn't it? And Scripture gives us a different a different motivation in that place. There's a long-term goal with it. It's using your spouse and you to mutually grow one another into what God would have you to be, to be mature and complete. One of my sons said to me after last week's sermon, really good sermon, Dad, which is, which is great when one of your children says that to you. I should have left it at that, but I said, um, what did you? What, what's your you know, main take from the sermon? And he said, uh, "It's uh, it's good not to be married." <laughs> if, if that was what that was the main thing that I projected last week, apologies. Um, I did did very much say that it's blessed to be single and it's blessed to be married, but both of them, the blessing comes from your commitment to maturity and the kingdom of God. So we come to James 3, and uh, let's think about this in relation to communication and conflict. This is what he says. <clears throat> Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven and is Earthly and spiritual and demonic, and Nick took the sermon um, when we were going through through James, and he laid those out about how this is our our flesh and the world and uh, demonic forces that operate and play and pull us with this I- these concepts of wisdom that are separate from what God would have us do. It says, "For we you have envy and selfish ambition, this idea that that is rooted in me as the center." There you will find disorder and every evil practice. It's a very insightful passage at diagnosing where a lot of our conflict and problems come from. He says this But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And we're going to be in that that second part of the passage primarily in the next two weeks. And the key one I want you to focus on there is peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Back in chapter 1, he said this, which is, which is one, often a, a one quoted out of James when we think of uh, our conflict or communications just in general. But I want you to note something in it. it which' says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We know that verse, don't we? And we agree with that verse. It's a good verse. But do you notice what the second next verse says? Because human anger does not produce the what? Righteousness that God desires. Now, I want to make the connection here between the idea of being mature and complete and the concept of righteousness, That is the right way that I should be and think and the right way that I should live. Did you see this? He's saying there's an action here which is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, but there's a goal that sits in behind those actions. The goal is if I operate in that way, then the righteousness that God desires in my life and in my relationships will ensue. Does does that make sense? And often we need to think about what sits in behind. Actions are important, don't get me wrong, but we also need to think about what is happening in behind the actions because I'll just go into a thing, oh, I'll I'll be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But I'm also going, I want to do that because God is doing something in this space, in me and in my relationships general, but specifically in what we're talking about in marriage here. Now let's connect it in with chapter three, verse eighteen, that we just said. Peacemakers, he says there, who sow in peace, reap a what? A harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. Now the analogy is very important, because what it's saying is this: This is. Uh, uh, I was asking my wife, what should I what should I grow in uh, in the garden, and I was noticing she was buying these horrendously expensive snow peas. And I'm always after things that you can grow in the garden that cost a lot of money at the shop. So she said, grow some snow peas. So I went out and bought a packet of these and I've planted them in the soil. But this is not the harvest, is it? When will the harvest come? Summer, hopefully. Is it summer? I have no idea how long snow peas take. <laughs> I don't know if you need snow to get a snow pea. I have no, I, right, but I'm, I'm putting it in and kind of hope. But I'm putting it in hope for a future, aren't I? I'm sowing now for something that will be in the future. We're very temporal and immediate in the actions that we, that we do. Tell me what I can do now to fix this and solve this right at this moment. What is my immediate problem? What is the thing that needs to be fixed? And the Bible often doesn't talk about it in those words. It's saying there's a, there's a character, there's a nature about you that you need to do, and do it continually, and then a harvest will come in the future. Do you understand this? See, if we take the modern concept of marriage that's being pushed on us, we want that, that happiness, that joy in our marriage to be there right at the beginning, and then just to stay that way right the way through. I think those who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness as they progress in their growth of character and progress in the growth of their marriage. And you won't see necessarily immediate gains, but you're you're imagining it in in the person that's in front of you who is incomplete, right? You're also incomplete, don't forget that, but they're incomplete. But you're looking at them going, but I can see what God is doing in you or could do in you. And I can see as that develops what that could do for us in our marriage relationship. Right? And so we invest without necessarily knowing when or exactly what that will look like. But I do it in a way that's really important. And we need to do it for each other. It's really important that we do that. I love how Leslie Vernick, who I, I mentioned last week, she says this. We, uh, we need spouses <clears throat> who will love us enough to tell us the truth and to respectfully challenge our selfishness, our self-absorption, and our self-deception. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. But she's right. Now, how do I become the person that my spouse is able to do that for me? Because I'd love to do that for them. But how do I become the person that we mutually do that for each other? And there's a number of barriers that sit in place that mean that we're uncomfortable doing that. I, uh, thank you for reminding me of the promise, Greg, of uh, saying I needed to share a little bit. Um, I'll take you back uh, three decades or so. Kath and I, Kath and I grew up in uh, uh, the town of Fielding in uh, Manawatu. Uh, uh, Kath was born in Taihapi, but moved there when she was very young. We worked out a while, quite a while ago that we would have been at the same kindergarten together. We don't quite remember each other in that moment. We would have gone through a little bit of primary school, then we were at different primary schools. We were at the same intermediate, but wouldn't have known each other. I, I do remember... Um, because uh, Kath's father died in an accident when she was 11, and I remember that being announced to the assembly at, at, the, at, uh, at school, and I remember vaguely knowing who this, who this girl was. And then in form, good old form three, year nine these days, uh, we ended up in the same form class. And uh, we were then in the same classes all the way through high school. Uh, Kath started coming along to the youth group that I was part of. We were both the same. We were the only ones the same age at the youth group. Eventually, we started going out. Um, uh, some other people had seen probably things a long time before we actually did. But in seventh form, we started going out together, and then we spent a lot of time in each other's homes. And it was quite interesting, actually, going to going to the homes. We were very different backgrounds of what we we're from. I'm the middle son of three boys. Um, our our love language was fighting, right, and competing. That was, that was it. Um, uh, when we weren't fighting and competing, we were eating. Um, <laughs> it sort of was, uh, it was, an envi- it was a very stable environment. I'm very thankful for my parents and my uh, family. If I say anything that comes across different from that, it's, it's not my, my heartfelt uh, feeling towards my parents. And I also think it's interesting when you reflect on your family, you can make two errors in looking back and seeing how your family reflected on you. The first one is to become a victim and say I'm a victim of my background. There's no victims in Christ in that sense. We need more victors than people with victim mentalities. But the other one is to not live a self-aware life and realize how your family dynamics have affected you. And so I encourage people to think about how that is. It's not demeaning to your parents. It's just sensible because if we think about where our wisdom, our our earthly wisdom has come from, a lot of it will have come from your family dynamics. And so my family dynamic was not really to talk about things very openly. There was a lot of topics that you just didn't go near. And um, we were very guarded with our emotions, right? It wasn't something that you expressed kind of very strongly in in, in our house, unless you'd broken your arm from a fight. I went to uh, my wife's family, Five women in the house and one, the only male was a very aggressive um, German shepherd who didn't like me, <laughs> was brought up as a guard dog. So I had to get past him to get in the house. There was a lot of emotion in that house. They had one bathroom for five women. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was epic in that place. You would sell tickets for when they were fighting over that. And there was nothing that was, there just seemed to be nothing that was Unable to be talked about. In fact, um, my mother-in-law knew that I came from, in some ways, a, you might call it a sheltered or reserved sort of background. She would, so she would deliberately raise topics that would have me red and sweating. There were topics that I had no idea about because she knew I was from a family of three, three boys. So I was being very quickly introduced into a different pattern and way of thinking came to our wedding day, and I remember my my father saying um, uh, to Kath, you know, the normal thing to do is to say welcome into the family, but he said, you've been a part of our family already for a very long period of time. So so we had known and seen each other for for a lot. We've been in each other's homes. We've been kind of through youth group, but we had no idea until we got married and were living together the reality of the fact that I brought in my background, which was that there's a lot of unspoken expectations that I would bring to Kath, and she should have known them, right? (laughs) She'd been in my house. She'd seen how we operated, and when she didn't do them, I responded in frustration, not in expressing it in a healthy way, but in frustration and anger and sulkiness Sorry if this is disappointing some people about your pastor, but this is the reality. And it it was difficult for us. It still is at times. We're still working through the realities of what was there. Kath will share a little bit more in the elective space about what it was like for her. That will be worth coming to. (laughs) But you all will be bringing something... Here's some, you heard hedgehog and rhino. I think they're helpful ones, but I, I want to f- flick a few more out. <sighs> this is not some sort of complete list, but a little bit of an idea. Some people operate like dripping taps. It's not a healthy way of kind of doing it. It's often passive aggressive. Just getting away at somebody, always at them, always in that sort of space. A dripping tap. <vicious salad ustedes> the second one I had is the bomb, right? <astronomically disproportionately surgenceuitive> <laughs"> tho- <initially> Frustration kind of builds and then out it all comes and whoosh, it sort of goes. Okay. Third one I had is, is a, a filing cabinet. We're good at filing things away, aren't we? Not expressing them and bringing them out. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take that bit of information. I'll take that. Ca- Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about here. This is often what happens when you do you have looping arguments. You start off talking about something very minor, and then you're back talking about how, well, you overwork, and our finances are messed, and da-da, you're unemotional, and, da-da, and they're looping arguments, and you forget what, how the argument started, you just go back to what you kind of ha- have been kind of. Well, they're, they're in the filing cabinet, and they just get brought out, right? <laughs> Whoosh, way they kind of come. I put this one down as the clown, right? Now, um, I put it as a clown. I th- this is, a clown is kind of a caricature of a, of a human. It's, it's somebody who often is, they deflect. So I often use humor, but you, you, you talk to them and you can never get it serious. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something you've got to get to and you never get there. Because they use distraction kind of methods, and there's all sorts of ways that you, that you can do it. Um, Patrick Doyle talks about this, deny, rationalize, minimize, justify, spiritualize. All these little tactics that mean you move kind of away, often sometimes you push it back onto the, onto the other person, but you never get to, it's an unhealthy way of operating, but a very common one. And then the last one I put down, again, this is not a complete one, but this one I, I call the siege. And this is a bit of a more dangerous one. In our elective, I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, what is just uh, a relationship that still has some goodwill, but has some stuff around where you need to do and you need to talk about some stuff and work through the way that you do things to have some healthy conflict resolution. You know, there's some skills and stuff that you need. I'm not talking in this space about abuse, We'll talk a little bit about that in that elective space, where people are doing things to control and manipulate somebody else. That is very dangerous. A siege can happen. What do you do in a siege is they would surround a castle and they would cut off the supply so that the people inside that castle would surrender. And in a siege, what you do is you withdraw whatever it is, and it's often emotional kind of things. And so I would have have used this tactic. So I know that if I withdraw emotion and intimacy from Kath, she'll break at some point because she needs it. And because she was the one that broke, then I had an opportunity. It's a really nasty tactic, but it's a common one that we do. It's a very, very unhealthy one, right? And so all these ones here, there's there's more, but I want to just put those ones out there as examples of going, you will relate to one or more of those of tactics that you use in your marriage that are unhealthy. And so here, James says, wisdom that comes not from yourself or from the world or from demonic forces, this is the characteristics that it has. First of all, it's pure and I think purity, what we're talking about in this sense, it's not a double-minded idea. It's this sense that I, I see what God is doing and I'm committed to what God is doing in my own life, but in my spouse, in my community, in my family. I see that seed being planted. I long for the harvest of righteousness. There's a purity to my motives. He says that's first. Then it's peace-loving. Then it's considerate, which is, again, looking at the other person. It's submissive. A number of your ones will say reasonable or open to reason. You can be dis- you, you. You're able to discuss something and work something through, without shutting down or distract, de- detracting or moving away. Or da da da. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. We'll pick this up next week as we look at this idea of reimagining it. See, right conflict resolution is good for us. It's a situation where needs are expressed um, without being demanding, where vulnerability is present with safety. And it's where you're able to open up and become a vessel for God's goodness in your life. So let's come back to James 1 and James 3. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. How are you going to apply that in your marriage? How are you at this moment sowing peace into your marriage relationship? And by the way, if peace isn't being sown in there, if there's frustration and anger and bitterness, it will be coming out somewhere, probably in your marriage, If you have children at home, it's probably they will be feeling it and seeing it and sensing it. It's likely to come out in your workplace or in your church community. Good, healthy marriages are not just important for the marriage couple. They're important for our society. And so it's really important, critical, that we do it in good ways. One of the ways, um, we can talk about some more examples out in the elective if people want to ask questions in that space. One of the big ones for us that we've learned uh, is a really healthy way for us is walking. And walking has a a, a number of great advantages. One, you're away from the kids. Two, you're outside and you're walking together in the same direction side by side. There's something about that. It might be driving. Driving is often useful for for that as well. But rather than facing up against each other, going out and walking and walking, if you go for a good decent long walk, the conversation will you will notice the conversation change and if you're doing it in a reasonably healthy way will often get a little bit deeper and some things will come out that have been sitting there an opportunity for. You've got to find the settings and the spaces and the places where that happens. As Brent said, don't do it late at night, <laughs> right? There's certain times or spaces that you know that it's not going to work. So you need to have healthy settings in which you do it and you need to really work on your language. Don't say, you always, I never, da-da-da-da. There's a lot more we statements in it. There's a lot more questions in asking and, and working on people in opening up and healthily doing things in that regard. I mean, there's a lot more that can be said on that, but to be honest, there's massive amounts of resources that talk about working through conflict. The barrier isn't often the resources. The barrier is a, 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 an individual or both of you as a couple who don't want to do the mahi in it, right? And I just got to say, if, if you think your, your, your marriage or any relationship can work without putting the time and the effort and upskilling yourself. That's what we talked about, thinking of it as a muscle that gets stronger as you, as you put the right things in place. When you do that, provides the ability for this harvest of righteousness to occur. Kathy Keller says this, The most powerful people are the ones who repent the most quickly and the most frequently and the most deeply. So there's a humility that comes into that space of being prepared to do that because when you are like that, you give the opportunity, maybe not immediately, this isn't enough. I do this immediately, but it gives the opportunity for vulnerability and opening up from the other person, particularly if they have a background in their family or a situation that they've grown up where that's not easy for a person. And I find this in myself and in a number of other people who have grown up in churches, um, in the church space. I want to close um, this with this, though. Because in many ways, our, our marriage, but a relationship in general, in, in the sense that it's growing and making, helping me to become more like Christ, is a gospel reenactment. I'll read the verses and explain what I mean. Dear friends, since God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now listen to this. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, what does it say? God lives in us. And listen to this. His love is made complete in us. Isn't that interesting? We've been talking about becoming mature and complete, harvest of righteousness. God lives in us when we love one another. And his love is made complete in us. Let that soak in because a gospel understanding of how Christ loves me and that I get my identity and security and significance primarily from him and my relationship with him enables me to love somebody else. And then in loving somebody else, his love becomes complete in me. Whew. That's why I say, you as a Christian in your marriage have a long-term goal. You are not complete, your spouse is not complete, but you are looking for the work of God in that person's life so that they may become all that God has for them and that you do that together as a couple. In the elective space, there's a couple of specific things we want to talk about and then we want to open up for questions. If you've got children with you, we're going to open the back up and we'll have a little video playing for the kids to watch and they can play out in the rally hall. They're going to set up the gaga ball. So um, come along. It's not us uh, telling you because we have all the answers. We'd like a little bit of collective wisdom in that space. But I just want to encourage people, these things need to be talked about. They need to be opened up and expressed because if they're not, it's unhealthy for you, it's unhealthy for your marriage, it's unhealthy for families, community. But when we do it, (laughs) when we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let me pray as the band comes up and we have our final song. Father, we we know so much that our basic problem is a self-centeredness. It comes out in in so many expressions in our lives and in our relationships. But thank you that you love us so much that you you don't want to leave us in that place of immaturity. You want to bring us out of our self-centeredness and take us into a place where we can self-give to others that because your love can live in us, that we are able to love one another and then through that beautiful mechanism of what is going on, that we can truly understand what it is to have God alive in us, working in us, and we truly understand what love is. Would you just help anyone here today, Lord, that there's something that's been said that planted a little seed in their soul of something that they know that they need to do? Would you help them, Lord, not to walk out of this place not making a commitment to go and have that conversation or create that space this week for that conversation to take place? Would you help them to do the inner working in their soul first, Lord, that it comes, doesn't come from a demanding, selfish space, but becomes from a beautiful heart of humility that knows that you are maturing all of us together? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.